Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Welcome to Game Master's Studio, where we'll be talking about tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today's topic that we're talking about is immersion and ambiance, creating an environment to help draw your players into the game and enhance your stories. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. I'm host and moderator for today. With me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional DM, and Ed. Well, I'm here. I was going to phone it in, but that just seemed like too much effort. All right, so we are in and talking about ambiance, immersion, the environment, creating a status at the table that makes your players connect with what's going on. Um, how are we going to do that? How are we going to make people forget that they spend their days working as an accountant or lawyer or reporter, and now they're supposed to be a barbarian or a wizard or a vampire or what have you? How do you flip that switch and keep them there? Wizard's hats. But what if you are normally a wizard by day and you want to play an accountant by night? That's a different podcast. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure I know what we're talking about. Uh, well, one one trick that's used a lot in some of the games that I play in is uh, music. You know, have some background music going on. You know, maybe a playlist of some sort. Uh, you can certainly have uh, something playing. And you can, you can change it up, of course. You know, you can have something more action-based. You know, a little faster for those sorts of scenes. You know, if it's supposed to be a little more dramatic, then you can, uh, you know, change to a different list that has, you know, kind of more dramatic music. Or if it's supposed to be spooky or horror, you know, they might have uh, that sort of thing uh, available for you. But uh, music, sound effects, those sorts of things definitely can help bring a player in. I think music is a great one to kind of have as an underlying, like it's in the background, it's always on. Right. You can change between the different playlists, you know, combat, action, adrenaline, chase, and espionage, secrecy, and just like baseline. Uh, but I think that using music can just help create the general mood of here's what's happening. And you can also switch it so, oh, we're in town, and like, wait, why is the action soundtrack playing? Right. Yeah, I'm music is... A huge one. I mean, like music elicits an emotional response, you know, no, you know, if used correctly. So that's definitely one of the biggest things that I, I would recommend right off the bat, like you said, is music. And in certain situations, like you, you mentioned sound effects kind of, uh, you know, in passing, like that's another good one too. It's just like ambient noises, you know, like, okay, it's the, the, the creepy campfire scene in the middle of a horror store, you know, like, so maybe you have the soundtrack of like some, the campfire crackling, but also like, you know, the owls, who, you know, hooting and the, the crickets chirping, but no actual music, just kind of setting the tone and just kind of like maybe it's a dark, you know, maybe it's a stormy night. So you have the, you know, the storm, thunder, rain scene kind of thing, you know, just ambient background noises. Uh, you can get some of that stuff from tabletopaudio.com, which we've mentioned in a previous episode. They do a lot of that kind of stuff, ambient noises, um, as a resource for those of you out there that don't have a resource that you're, you know of. Or you can just search Google. I'm sure it's out there. Google will find anything for you. Yeah, and it's fun to see how that can have an effect on your players as well. I specifically remember a case where it was a Wrath game, and there are certain 
creatures that have a, a hunting battle call that was pre-recorded and on there, and they were showing up for a session, and several of the players had dealt with them already, and one of the p- players had not. His was also the only character that hadn't dealt with them in-game either. Hmm. So when the noises started and we started hearing the the, the cries and the the... the it, starting to get louder, and we're like, oh, no, those, they're coming in. And the player legitimately was like, what, what, what is this? What's going on? And it really fit for the character to not really have any idea of, like, wait, why are you guys all getting ready to fight? You know, what, what, what's that noise? Right, you know, the, the howling and crying and screeching of the, the incoming Zeeks. <laughs> like, oh, crap. <laughs> Here they come. Yeah, so again, sound effects, music, that's great. Lighting, ambient lights, and stuff like that. You know, depending on how your game's set up. I mean, obviously, for anyone that's just still strictly pen and paper, you need to make sure you have appropriate lighting so you can read your paper, you can write appropriately. But if you can kind of control the atmosphere and the mood of the lighting in your room where you're playing, again, some of that will come down to time of day if you have windows. But, you know, even if it's the middle of the day, you can draw the curtains... You know, make sure that there's enough light at each station to, you know, read and write on your paper, but try to keep the, the you know, the lights dim if it's supposed to be more of a scary or, or horror or thriller kind of thing. Even a mystery, just kind of like lower lights, just kind of like, you know, intensifies, you know, heightens people's senses a little bit. You know, yeah. it gives you that mystic, you know, mystical, mystifying, horrible kind of feeling, you know, depending on the, the other factors that you're bringing in. Or, you know, have some candles lit. You know, yeah. that's an, a good way to have, you know, so there's enough light by the, you know, for the pen and paper. But you're, you're keeping that ambient light down. You know, turn all the lights off in the room, draw the curtains, light up a bunch of candles. Boom. You know, maybe yeah. throw some incense on, too, because smell can be a huge factor. Not used as often in my games, you know, because it's one of those, like, I don't go out and shop 15,000 different incense right, right, right. or sages or anything like that. But, you know, in the right kind of situation or just in general to just have incense lit. Smell can just be a huge, you know, like uh, a scent to take advantage or a huge sense, uh, sensory to, right. uh, you know, to take care of, uh, to take advantage of. I can't talk all of a sudden, you know, like scent is one of the, like the biggest uh, invokers of memories and such. Right. So, yeah, I've never played around with scent much, but the, so for instance, what the, the lighting, the candles that brings up a, that's a really good point because I was in a, uh, a horror game once. It was a Cthulhu game, one of the first ones I ever played in. Uh, yeah. So I was still new as a player, and the the lights <laughs> legitimately went out. Like the power went out for the house during our gaming session, and we were all like really you know pissed because we wanted to play. Um, and so everyone's like, "Well, we got candles, so we you know put like three or four candles on the table, big enough to light the area, and the lighting was good enough that you could see your die rolls." And then we were playing in this this horror game. With like candlelight and a storm going on outside, yeah. And believe me, later in that game, when I accidentally stepped on a cat toy, I thought I'd stepped on one of the aliens that was coming after <laughs> us. Man, that freaked me the hell out. Yeah, well, I mean, but that it was, was really that fun because I was immersed. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. you were forced. That was yeah. forced immersion. That wasn't the the GM saying. Let's draw the curtains, light some candles, and right. put on some some thunderstorm music in the background. Yeah. That was, but that's my experience to say, yeah. hey, this really, this stuff really can yeah. work. You know? It really does work because you were forced into that situation, and that situation can be mimicked if chosen to be. Yeah, absolutely. I had a DM that actually had the lights on a slider, so a fader within reach of his chair, so mm. he would reach over and dim the lights a little bit when we were 
playing and in game it was night or we were doing something stealth and we get to we get back to town and boom flip the lights back up to full you know and getting into that okay here is bright open safe and now okay things are getting darker we need to be alert we need to pay attention yeah yeah one of the things that, that I actually use. wanted to build into my custom table which is still on the docket for like down the road when I have the cash is to build in an LED strip around it that has different color LEDs and a fader on it and having that be in the DM spot so they can ch- freely change colors and or make the lights blink and or just fade them up and down right. as, you know, just something to play with. Like, I've seen people talk about, like, using, oh, well, whenever I, you know, the players crit, I'll flash red lights. You know what I mean? You know, it's little things like that, but you can totally play it up for, like, you know, the just the ambience of... Of what's going on in the game. Okay, you you walk into the creepy sorcerer's castle, and everywhere there's green flames. Um, <laughs> but you know, like you can have like you know some dim green lights going on. You know, for these green torches that are lit up everywhere. I'm just gonna help use the lights to set the scene for what you're trying to describe in game. I was thinking green for like walking through the forest, and go to like a yeah. blue for like underwater adventures. I just went with the green flame. Another immersion thing, too, uh, is just being descriptive and setting the scene. Yes. You know what I mean? That's that's actually, like, that's your bread and butter right there. I mean, it's a role-playing game. You're the GM. You're telling your players what's going on, or you're setting the scenes for the players. You know, like, let the players interact with the environment however they see fit, you know, within, within reason. But, you know, like, you're setting the scene. So just, you know, if you can come off the cuff with, like, some really descriptive scenes, you know, and settings, that's great. You know, if you're the kind of person that needs to spend a little bit of time and write it out. I personally, I think I'm really good at improving characters and interactions, but when it comes to being like a really descriptive narrative, like really setting the scene, I prefer, I know that I can be better if I take a couple minutes and write it out first. So especially since I want to specifically make a point to, again, trying to help with the immersion to point out sensory things. Like, you rub your hand against a rough textured brick wall, you know, like, okay, so you're that's instantly going to bring a memory to you. Like, I've felt a brick wall before. I know, okay, you know. Right. You smell the, the scent of rotting meat. You know what I mean? Like, again, smells, you know, going to elicit a lot of memories. And even if you just tell someone that you're smelling that, you're going to be like, I've smelled rotten meat before. Right. That's so, gross. <laughs> something sloshes under your boot as you go through the cave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, it, you know, make sure that you're bringing, you know, things, you know, not just, don't just tell them what they see. They know what they see, you know, or, you know, tell, make sure you do, you describe what they see, but make sure you bring in other sense, you know, smell, you know, touch, uh, what they hear in the background. Again, you can actually use audio tracks for some of that, or you can just, you know, explain it to them. Yeah. Like, okay, it's a dark and stormy night. Thunder, you know, you, the sound of rains pounding on the ground. Thunder streaking across the sky. You know, sure. you know, or lightning streaking across the sky. Random thunderous booms. You know, the mud sloshing beneath your feet. The smell of rotting carcasses. You know, like it invades your nostrils. You know, it's huge. You know, I mean. Get some like nasty words in there too. I mean, depending on what you're going for, but like you know, the putrid. You know, like be descriptive. You know, you don't not just you smell rotting meat, but you smell the the the, the horrible scent of putrid rotting meat. You know, like that's yeah. you know you can taste it. You know, it's it's invading your nostrils. But throw some nice words in there like putrid, or if it's a nice you know you know the smell of beautifully fragrant flowers. You know, the rose petals in the air. You know, like whatever you're going for, but. Throw some, make sure you get some really nice descriptive words in there to really elicit, or you know, a memory or a response from the players. And you can also use 
things that they're familiar with. I remember seeing a uh, a guide that talked about rather than trying to explicitly describe what the orc slur smells like, tell them it smells like a stale old locker room, mm-hmm. and you're going yeah. to have people getting that image of you know of just like sweat. The dirt, you know, and all that in there with just that image of something. That's that's something they already know. Right, yeah. I actually played with a GM, excuse me, almost exclusively Exalted. But her style for GMing, for describing things, would always be to make um, comparisons. You know what I mean? Like, like you use the locker room. She's like, oh, well, it, have you ever... You know, had an, felt an eel. Have you ever picked up an eel? That nasty, slimy, scaly texture under your hand. Like she would, she would ask you questions. Like you know, ask you questions and tell you things that you've done or seen or heard or felt or smelled in real life to make those connections. So you're, it helped a lot with making connections. It's just as a DM, I personally never really got into that because I felt like a lot of that. While it helped me understand what she was trying to describe, I felt like it always broke immersion because she was always talking to me as a player. Right. You know what I mean? That was like one of those things where like, I really kind of dig what you're doing, but I kind of also, it's not for me, not for my style. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with it because I totally think that she's an awesome GM. But just, again, for me, it constantly broke immersion. Like, I like to be immersed in the world. You know, like, don't talk to me as the player. Talk to me. You know, tell right. me what my character sees. Describe things to me. Feel free to use those similar kind of descriptions to help me get there, but don't talk to me, talk to the character that I'm playing. You know what I mean? Don't ask, yeah, so have you ever had a, you know, uh, uh, don't ask, hey, have you ever had a an eel in your hand? Be like, it's slippery like an eel, you know, like the, you, you can feel like a slightly rough texture beneath the slime and blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, just, just describe it to me instead of asking, do you know what this is like? Yeah. And, you know, no matter how you do it, if you're describing something to your players, even if you're not great at description or maybe you're pretty good at it, uh, one other way that you can help immerse them into that is have them close their eyes. Mm-hmm. So everybody close your eyes while I, you know, read. maybe you have something prepared you're going to read out or you're describing a room. I wouldn't say do it every time they enter a new room, but if you're really trying to give them the feel of a new scene that you're setting, say, hey, everybody close your eyes while I describe this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might seem a little silly or a little goofy or something. Some people might not really want to do it, but if you do that, and they really kind of, you know, listen to your words and they're going to start imagining this entire scene that you're laying out in front of them. And, you know, no two people are alike. So they might imagine it a little bit different, differently than the way you describe you know, it. That's the whole but, reason why books are better than movies in most people's opinion because you get to add your own twist on the interpretation of what's being told to you. True. Um, and, but that's the idea. So, I mean, you can certainly elicit responses through senses, you know. Uh, hearing or rather sound might be one of the, the biggest ones that you can really focus on, uh, you know, bringing back memories of texture and taste and that sort of thing, of course, smell. Uh, but using their imagination is also going to be a big part of that. And one of the ways to really convince people to use their imaginations without telling them to do it is just close your eyes, mm-hmm. listen to what I'm saying. And eventually they're going to start getting that picture in their head. Hopefully it's the same picture you have. Or at least close enough. Yeah, right. close enough, yeah. Um, I just, I again, I can't say, you know, narrative slash description enough. Like, I actually have a note. It's like one of the few notes that I keep at my DM station. Jerry's seen it because he's, you know, sat there. But I have a little note card and it just yep. says, description, description, description. Like, just describe everything. But the trick is in moderation. Right. Don't write a page and a half about a room. 
You know what I mean? If it's a really important castle that you're talking about for a page and a half, maybe if it's going to be really important and they're going to be there a lot and then you don't have to talk about it as much in the future. But, like, there should be, you should have at least one, maybe two sentence description about, like, every room, like, in a dungeon. Like, every room might seem the same in a dungeon, but at the same time, every room probably has its own subtle nuances. This room has some right. chain, you know, iron chains, you know, bolted to the wall. This room smells like mold. This room, you know, is, you know, the torch is out in this room. You know what I mean? There's a table and a couple of chairs. You know, but, you know, just try to make sure that, you know, in a dungeon, no matter where you go, like, just try to set the scene with one to two, three tops, you know, sentences, depending on the environment. Like, if you were describing the forest that they were traveling through, three sentences, maybe. Yeah. You're describing, you know, the dungeon when they first enter two to three sentences, but every room after that only needs one to two sentences. You know, just quick description and try to, again, make sure that you're eliciting something along the lines of feel, touch, taste. You can smell the taste of, you know, uh, iron in the air, you know, or like, you know, uh, what is it? You, there's a taste of atmosphere in the air as if, you know, lightning had just struck through here, you right. know, you know, just little things like that. Instead of just like, you see a dirty stone wall, you see another dirty, moldy stone wall. You see a dirty, you know, it's another stone wall. It's another room full of, you know, it's another stone wall room. Made of stone. Yeah. You know, so, okay, I get it. Okay, this whole this whole dungeon's stone wall. So, you know, just like, okay, all the rooms are identical, but in this room, there's mold growing in the corner. In this room, you yeah. know, again, the torch is out. In this room, you know, there's this, this stink. In this room, you taste this in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just, you know, little things, just, to, you know, just keeping immersion all the time, just kind of like describing, because no two rooms are ever exactly the same, unless they're both just recently been doused with bleach, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. The smell of bleach permeates the air. <laughs> what, what about this room? You taste which, the air, the air tastes of bleach. <laughs> which would definitely make your players go, wait, what? Yep. And have them paying attention because obviously something strange and different, that means we need to suddenly be focused on what's going on or we're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, and again, if you know if you're describing every room, then that can be to the point where like it's helping them immerse. It can also kind of help hypnotize them into the story, you know what I mean, with the immersion. It can also be a sneaky trick where like they might be used to you only describing important rooms, but now you're describing all of the rooms. So then when they find the important room, they don't realize that it's as important as it was because now you've described all the rooms equally. Like, okay, this room has this, this room has this, this room, this room has a mirror on the wall. Normally they'd be like, there's a mirror on the wall. Oh, this room's important. But you just got done saying so much about all these other rooms that they don't pay any attention to the mirror. And then they walk in front of it and now there's evil opposite clones of them. And right, <laughs> boom, right you know, they just walked right into a trap. So, I mean, you can use it to kind of trick the players, too, you know, I mean, if that's something that you want to do. I think I think in in terms of uh, not necessarily tricking the players, but in specific DM language, I think is also important um, to use things like, oh, I want to check for traps. Everything looks clear. Mm -hmm. Or you don't find anything. Or it all seems normal. Um, getting the players to the fact because there's a world of difference between it looks clear and it is clear. Right. Yeah, because they don't know if they... I mean, they know what they rolled, but they don't know if they succeeded on the DC to find X trap. So, you know, purposely be, you know, a little bit vague is always a good idea. Which is why I love when their roll comes up something like a 19. Because they're like, oh, man. It's high, but... 20 would be, like, a reasonable difficulty. So a 19, I might have failed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit harder when they're like, I have a 33. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it looks, yeah, I mean, it looks clear. Okay, guys, it's clear. Yeah, probably probably it's clear. <laughs> so let's spend a little bit of time because we've been talking a lot about immersion and building the environment. I think there's another important point that we need to hit on. And even though we've discussed it a little bit, I think it's worth bringing up again. And that is having the NPCs that fit the environment that can be memorable, that help build that immersion. Because if you spend all this time talking about this grandiose setup and this king at this huge throne made of iron as you flanked by guards and you're walked up and you have the sound of the horns and all that and the king looks down and goes hey guys yep do so i need your help i'm bob <laughs> i'm king yeah. bob can you help so um we have spoken earlier about making memorable npcs and mm-hmm. i think we should recover or go over some of that again yep um you know, useful tools like accents and personalities. Yeah. Make sure um, they have at least one thing, whether it's physical right. or audible. Right. Or like, but one thing that defines them, a scar across the face, guy smells like rotten eggs, you know, uh, maybe he's got, he's a human, but he has like almost like reptile scales across his body for whatever reason. Like he's yeah. got some kind of weird skin condition, but just something that makes him stand out. So when you mentioned Scarface guy, oh yeah, I know Scarface guy. I may not remember his name, but I remember the guy with the scar across his face. Yeah. Physically, he appears to be the king. Yeah. See, and that's yeah, that's even for specific NPCs, which is a good idea, but also for like just generics. I have a, uh, a group now that I'm running through a, a locale that I, when I first designed it, I was like, okay, this is going to be like ancient Rome, Greek style area over here. You know, and I didn't really mention it. I just gave them the names. You know, I named it very, you know, kind of Grecian names. You know, but I never really told them that's what it was. And then when they finally get there, I start describing the area, describing the buildings. I use very, you know, kind of Greek and ancient Roman looking, you know, designs, you know, when I describe it to them. And I also describe the attire. Most of them are wearing just pieces of cloth that are draped over them and designed in such a way, you know, to, you know, to move around and whatnot. But there's also a lot of people... And also because it happens to be the summertime, they're barely wearing anything. Mm-hmm. And in ancient, you know, Roman and Greek history, that was very true at the time. Yeah. When they did come across armored personnel, you know, they had spears and they had, you know, shields and they had armor designed to look like a human abdomen. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas all the armor they come across before is like just standard plate armor and that sort of yeah. thing. You know, switch that up. If you have a... a if your characters are traveling a lot, which in that campaign they are, make part of the immersion of that can be making sure that you describe the different areas that they're going to. And that'll give them a different feel and, again, spark that imagination so you can say, oh, we're in kind of more of a Greek culture area. Mm-hmm. So they'll start thinking more along those lines yeah. when they when they envision, you know, the other players, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, um, and that'll, that'll help make it memorable. And you can have callbacks, you know, maybe they're off in this – desert area and they make friends with with some high-ranking official who tells them to go speak to my friend here who wanks as high as an Ian Wobe. Um, <laughs> I wanted you to make the joke when you were talking about the Roman Colosseums and then you never did, so. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, to have them connect and call back and then you could also do that so you could say, oh, you need to go to, you know, this place and the people are like, where's that? Oh, it was kind of 
This is oh right the Greek the Greek place right exactly. Um, it helps connect them to what they're doing. It helps them makes it memorable so that they remember what their characters are doing. Yeah, it's giving personality to a town or location exactly. Right? And also, I believe one of you said something about um, accents. You can certainly do character specific accents, but what about location accents? Yeah, regional right? accents. So like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't really have a Greek accent down, so I haven't been doing it. But there was an area where they were kind of in a kind of a Spanish area, mm-hmm. so I had everyone kind of talking, you know, in a roughly Spanish accent. Yep. You know, nothing too over the top, but enough that everyone could notice, oh, well, this is the accent of this land. Yeah, again, you can do regional accents, or I think we mentioned it before, you can do, like, racially-based accents. Well, in this case, I decided that it was regional-based. Like, even the elves and the dwarves in that area spoke Mm -hmm. with that same accent. And I think Jerry might even have a good story about... Well... Well, there's, there's there's two things that comes up. One, <laughs> that allows you to, then they go somewhere else and they meet somebody who's speaking in an accent from a land they've already been to. That'll immediately click with the players and, hey, this guy's not from here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other fun thing was we had that wonderful moment uh, a few games ago where we decided instead of speaking in traditional Scottish accents, all the dwarves are going to be speaking in French accents. Yes, we had that last time, yeah. <laughs> and which has led to no amount of hilarity just because of how ingrained we are that the dwarves are Scottish and not even good Scottish accents at that. Right. Yeah, bad Scottish accents. <laughs> Shrek accents. Yeah. <laughs> and then to have the dwarves be coming in and, and oh, ho, 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 it is time for us to show them how we battle. Would you like some cold on blue? <laughs> Perhaps I call some. <laughs> Which. It breaks the stereotype. It breaks the stereotype. It also kind of broke immersion. Yes. But it the did. group was having so much fun that yeah. we were just going with it. Yeah. See, it, it, it can break it, but at the same time, it can make it because it's, you know, okay, this land, this is how people talk mm-hmm. in this land. So when they talk to you, that's what you get. Yep. You know, it, it, it kind of breaks that up. But I think also and, in that aspect, you might want, like, where there are regional dialects or languages instead of, say, racial dialects or languages. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's another... And the hilarious topic. moment where the dwarf started to speak in a Scottish accent, stopped, corrected himself, and started over in the French accent. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, even if you did, uh, you know, racially-based accents, then you can still play off of that. Like, okay, say all drow in the Underdark speak with a Transylvanian accent, and then you meet a dwarf that speaks with a Transylvanian accent. You're like, uh, so were you raised <laughs> in the Underdark with drow? You're like... Yeah, how'd you know? Um, no reason. Um, it's definitely not the way that you talk. I wouldn't want to make fun of the way that you talk, but yeah, yeah. You want to suck my blood? (laughs) (laughs) And we've had that to establish characters. Um, in Vrath, as players, we've decided that one of the races kind of speaks with a Russian accent, which Mm -hmm. is kind of, this is the way that it's been. And we had one character who was playing a druid, and he was not well-integrated to, to to modern society and all that, and the player played him with a very thick Russian accent and, like, not so great on his words, you know, a lot of that very heavy, sometimes difficult to understand. Yeah, very broken English, extremely thick Russian accent. And then we had another character who was from that same race, and he was specifically an ambassador, and his... 
accent was much more subtle. Occasionally, he messed up on the the verb phrasings, but in general, he was much more enunciated and much more articulate than, you know, the Druid character. So we built a personality out of having those accents and seeing the contrast mm-hmm. uh, between the two. Indeed. Yeah, it worked really well. Yeah. And certainly that helps immerse the characters in the role-playing experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, again, back you know, back to the the, the primary talk of, topic of immersion, like having that role-playing aspect, you know, which we kind of haven't really touched on a little bit, you know, that much this episode. But you know, the role-playing, role-playing aspect of that, you know, talking right. in character, keeping everyone in character at the table is another huge benefit to immersion. You yeah. know, I really prefer the whole like when we sit down at the table, we are our characters. Yeah. You know, like as a DM, I try to really try to talk in character as much as possible. You know, obviously, there's lots of description and narrative coming out, but like, if I'm talk, I'm not only say, and then this guy says this. It's, oh, what's going on? How are you doing? Blah 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 blah. You know, like, you know, I try to talk in character. Whatever accent comes out of my mouth is kind of whatever, but you know, like, I try to talk in character. Like, that's the trick, and I try to use that as setting the example. Like, I want you to talk yeah. in character. I want him to talk in character. I want everyone at the table to like while you're sitting at this table. You are not Ed. You are not Jerry. You are your characters. You mm-hmm. know what I mean, and now, Miss Compagnons, let us go kill the Greenskins and take their gold. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, speaking of killing the Greenskins, uh, one last bit before we get wrapped up is keeping immersion going in combat. Mm-hmm. I think since combat is a mechanical heavy part of the game, it becomes one of the hard points to hang on to it. Yeah. And I think it's one of the times when you need to be thinking the most about it. Yeah. You should keep having your characters acting like characters in combat. You know, have them you know, bark out orders to their allies or ask for aid or assistance if things mm-hmm. aren't going well. You know, have them being willing to retreat if they're hurt or pressing the attack when things are going well. There's a lot of stuff that you can do to keep people, even though we're rolling dice and talking numbers, they're still actual individuals that you're interacting with in game right now. And description, description, description. Yeah. You know, DMs should be describing what's going on, but also, again, I try to encourage my players to, and this is something that I'm going to, we just started a new game with my, you know, me running, but what I'm going to be trying to pull into and get more in the habit of, because I want it to become second nature, but practice, practice, practice is getting the players to describe to me what they're doing. Right. And, you know, I'll describe what I'm doing with the NPCs and the monsters, and you describe to me what you're doing with your PCs. You run at the tribal warrior with your giant great sword and, you know, in tow. You come swing down over your head and try to split the dude in twade. Boom, I rolled X damage. All right, cool. You got, you split the dude right in half. You know what I mean? He's dead. He fall, you know, left side falls to the left, right side falls to the right, you know, and then every, you know, all the, the tribesmen around you scream, freak out, and drop their bows. Oh my God! You cut, right. you cut Larry and Twade! Right. right. <laughs> or, or, Larry. or even just, you know, the wizard cast magic missile. Okay, well, what do you want it to look like? Yeah, exactly. You know, you Spells could have. are huge for yeah, description. You could have it shaped however you want, uh, you know, or look like a certain type of energy it doesn't change anything mechanically right but it's it's just flavor and a lot mm-hmm. of flavor could help with immersion and i i even used that when i couldn't do something okay. i had a character built on he's he's powerful he's intimidating he's dangerous and he took somebody out and i didn't have enough movement to reach the next person so instead of you know oh this is combo we're rushing i just had him like he took him out and he turns and he looks and he goes you the next, for his next target, and just starts walking. 
And he didn't have enough movement to make it all the way. So it's just like, this is combat. It's just a few seconds. He's not even crossing the distance. He could, but he's just slowly moving, intimidating. You know, And this is who this character is. Yeah. Brought into a combat role with all of my limitations. Yeah. And from a GM perspective, you want to do that yourself when you're describing how your NPCs or villains are, are fighting. Uh, but it, and doing that will help encourage your players to do that and also help encourage that. Mm-hmm. And also, another way that you can encourage that is by basic rewards, maybe a little extra XP or in the case of 5th edition, if they describe something particularly well, you can say, hey, man, you started yourself an inspiration point. Yeah. Yeah, my players, my players have learned that they can earn inspiration by making fun and interesting attempts. Mm-hmm. They've had a number of them fail, some fairly spectacularly, but they got rewarded for trying something different, saying, you know, in character, you know, we have this character who's always very, we have this character who's always very quick, witty, uses the environment, and he's done a lot of, he's done a couple of fun things that have given some inspiration. And you have the other characters who, another character who's not necessarily so as smart or quick witted, but he's really good hearted, really optimist. And he's tried to do some things like negotiating with people who definitely have no interest in negotiation, but he's going to keep trying because that's who he is. Right. And that helps add and build their character, even though initiative has been rolled, even though he's okay with taking his action rather than attacking these guys that are going to attack us. I want to try to talk it out still. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, another thing, and this this is something that might have to go back in earlier. But another thing is where you talked about uh, referring to people as characters, and you talked about how to do that in combat. Initiative. Don't call them. You know. You know. Don't say, okay, Jared, you rolled highest. So you go first. You know, I'm going to say your character name, Jericho. You're going first. Yeah. Talk, so, yeah. Refer to them as their character. Certainly do yeah. that. And if you do that every initiative, that helps bring that immersion around. Right, and that's something that I typically do, too. I know that, uh, again, our last game, I don't think I did it as much, but i got to get the nameplates up so I can remember everyone's character right. name. Because <laughs> yeah. usually we have nameplates in front of... Everyone's character name is literally in front of the player, so everyone can constantly remember everyone's name and refer yeah. to them. And then after three or four sessions, it's just second like nature. Like, hey, Marcus, what's up? Hey, don't remember for your name. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Paladin. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, so... Uh, when using D20 Pro, which if you want more information on, go listen to our Tech at the Table episode. Uh, I've been using that with my group, and it has the roster listing. Yep. And since I'm reading initiative right off that, I only have character names to go off of. So I'm like, okay, Chance, you're up. Or Onyx Star, it's your turn. Um, and it's true. He has amnesia every time we play, so he forgets all our names. He only has the character name reference. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I use that to, to connect with the characters because every time I don't just call, okay, Morthos, it's your turn. It's Morthos, Warlock, how do you go? <laughs> so. Yep. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. Uh, talking about immersion and ambiance, we could obviously keep going for a little bit, but it's time to wrap up. If you have any questions or comments or anything you'd like to uh, say about today's episode, definitely feel free to get in touch with us. We, on, we are on Facebook. You can like, comment, and subscribe. Join our message boards at GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. Contact us on Twitter, GMS Studios. And, of course, you can wait until next week. We are here every Tuesday with new episodes, and we will see you next time we're in the studio. Bye, everybody. Oh, and on a cliff note, we didn't forget about props. That's the next episode. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>